Today's message is called Correcting Conflict, and it's the first in a little mini-series of messages that I'm calling Relational Rationale. Now, this, I think, has been the most mispronounced message series that I've ever had, but I'm not talking about rational relationships or, or, or regional rationale or anything like that. It is relational rationale. So just to help us all, will you guys help me with just saying the two-word title of this series, and I promise not to, give in, to do another series as weirdly titled as this again, but, but I'm already into it. Come on, say the two words, relational rationale. Now, see, that makes me feel better. Now, I know that we can all say it. But relational ration, relational problems, they've been around since the beginning of time. They existed in the Garden of Eden. It's funny because right at the very beginning, there was this guy by the name of Adam. He had a wife by the name of Eve, and he told God, he said, that woman you gave me. You know, it was, there were already issues there. Cain, he, he killed his brother Abel. It's just stories all through the Bible uh, not only with marital conflict, with brothers and sisters and, and, and power struggles. There's one of, of David and, and Saul, just conflict with people. Uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, conflict with people. It happens all the time. In fact, you know, a movie really isn't a movie unless there's some good relational conflict going on. Isn't that right? Who wants to watch a movie where there's no relational conflict? I was trying to think, okay, I bet you there is a movie out there that has no relational conflict. And so I, I thought of the movie Castaway. I thought, yeah, how can there be relational conflict? He's out there on the island all by himself. But then don't you remember Wilson? He was yelling at Wilson. Wilson left him. And so he had relational conflict. So it just happens all the time. If your relational conflict is with a soccer ball, then meet me after church. We'll have a little bit of a discussion about that. Maybe I can help you a little bit. But how many of you guys, without raising your hands, you've had conflict in this last week? Now, don't look at the person you're having conflict with because they might be in the room. In fact, they might be sitting next to you. Just let it go. Just, just drop it. But a lot of the time, the right thing to do uh, with relational conflict is to attempt to work through that conflict at some level. And so uh, it's a good thing because advantages, they're, they're really the advantages of working through it supersede the advantages that you might feel of holding your ground and just staying right where you are because it's going to give you emotional health and spiritual vibrancy and relational zeal. In fact, the truth is, you're going to even begin to like people more, and people are going to like you more, and you're going to be more friendly, and you're going to see the world as more friendly as well when you begin to work through those things. Now, I know some say, well, I'm not really the relational type. I'm just shy. I just kind of stay back from all relationships. But I do want to challenge that thinking, too, because a lot of times we call shyness or we call introversion really a wall or some woundedness that happened as a result of a bad relationship. So so I think it's important for us to all talk about this because conflict, it is normal. But how you handle the conflict is what sets you apart and what sets your circumstances apart from others. Because if you handle the conflict appropriately, what will happen is it will really work to strengthen the relationship. And then you're even going to have good experience to drop on. You'll be able to help other people as well. It's also true, and I just want to say this right up front, every conflict, not every single conflict that you face is worth the fight either. It's not worth it all the time. But ultimately, 
you want to be at peace with yourself and at peace with God. You want to have this ability to focus again and move forward so that you can get rid of all the mental and emotional clutter that's holding you down. You want to bring healing to your pain and simply become a new person or to be the happy, vibrant person that you were back then before all the relational conflict. And that's what I want to talk through today. So open your Bibles up to the book of Matthew, chapter number 18. One of the things that I believe in is we are Bible-based, which, which means that we're going to take our truth from the Bible. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Psychology offers you a lot of good stuff. There are great articles and things that you can read all over the place about conflict. There's plenty. I, I tried Googling it just to see, and man, there, there's so much that you, you, you will never be able to read all the content on how to handle conflict. But I think the best place to start is with the Bible. So we're going to go there. That's going to be our foundation, and it should be all of our foundation. While you're finding that in Matthew chapter number 18, I was thinking about this and what, what it really looks like when relational conflict happens. It's kind of like getting your wires crossed. You ever heard that, that terminology, wires crossed? Well, I literally did that a few years ago. I had this car that had a, uh, that, that had a battery in its trunk. And this car would, would always just, the battery would always go dead, and I couldn't figure it out. And, 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 and so I would, I, I, I would just rack my brain. Why does it always go dead? And I, I, I came up with this little thought as I was hooking up the jumper cables to the, uh, to the car. I was hooking them up, and I had, had the, uh, my truck right behind it and pulled it up back behind the car, which was in the garage, kind of stuck in there with a dead battery. Conveniently, the battery's in the trunk, so that worked out kind of good for me. And, and I popped the trunk, and I was hooking it up, and I thought, you know, every time this happens, the hum- it's, it, there's high humidity or rain or something like this that's, that's associated with it. But what does high humidity and rain have to do with a battery draining? And then it just hit me out of nowhere. I thought, I bet I'm hitting the defrost thing on my car, and it's not turning off. It's staying on. Even after I turn off the car, it stays on. It just it came to me. I thought, that's it. That's it. So I hooked up the, the, uh, the, the jumper cables, and then I just, like, I'm going to go into the house. I mean, we have the Internet. So I went on there and started Googling it and looking it up. Sure enough, that was a common fault with these cars. Not all of them had it, but some of them had this little fault. And it was just a little switch where it just kept running. So I figured it out. I found it out. I know how to solve this. And I was so excited after about 10, 15 minutes of research that I remembered, oh, I left the cables on the car and left it running so I could jump it and it's charging the battery. Well, I need to kind of go back out there. And I walk it back out into the garage. No kidding. There was a fire in my garage. My, the, the, the cables that I put on the car, I'd gotten so distracted, I put them on backwards. And what had happened was the cables, the jumper cables, the, the wires, you know, it, it, it had all gotten very, very hot. The, the insulation on the, wire, on the cables had melted, and the back of the car, the bumper, the back of the car was melted also because of where the cables had draped down. There's a fire in there. And so naturally, I'm thinking, this is not good. So I, I go over and, and grab a broom, and I, I take this broom, and I knock off those, the cables as fast as possible, and, and then, then turn the car off. The fire goes out real quick, and I'm looking at the mess, and I'm thinking, it's not smart to get the wires crossed. It causes fires. It causes disasters. And really, that's kind of where we are today. And the funny thing is, it wasn't really very funny, is I got to drive around 
with my car scarred for quite a while until I could, until I had the, the courage to get it fixed. And, 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 I, and I really, I haven't told my wife this, I'm going to drive around like this for a little while because I always want to remember the object lesson taught to me today of the, pow, of the pain of getting wires crossed. And so I did. I drove around with it like for a, that way for a couple months and, and I had my melted bumper and then I finally got it fixed. I felt good about life, and I went on. But this is what I'm talking about today, not getting our wires crossed. So Matthew chapter 18, you should be there now. You can, you can follow on the screens, follow on your online notes. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won the person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or an IRS agent, I mean, a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I tell you this, if two of you on earth agree concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. That's all together one passage of Scripture. A lot of times it's broken up and, and taught differently and separately, but it all is together. This thing of two people or more agreeing on something is, is has to do with the issue of relational conflict, and we're going to talk about it today. And I think it's important. It's really essential that we, we talk about this because it's in the Bible. Now, I want to give a quick point of clarification. You might be kind of like me, a person who was raised on the Bible. All, ever since I was a little kid, it was all about reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and all of this. And, and that's been my life. That's my background. So a lot of times, the filters of where I am has to do with, with just the years that I've been in the Bible. And, and some of the older versions of the Bible would use the term in here, not sinned against, but it would use the term offended. And the, the only challenge with that is that the, the term offended in the English language, not biblically, but in the English language has transitioned and it means more than it used to mean before. And, and, uh, but, but in the Bible, it simply meant being sinned against and being offended like we think of it today. There are two very, very different things. So I wanted to find them for you. First of all, being offended is this, and this is my definition. This is the Tim Woody Standard Version definition. It is feeling or the feeling or perception of intentional or unintentional mistreatment. That means, yes, you've been mistreated. You feel it. You perceive it. It could have been intentional or unintentional. That gets us offended. We get our feelings hurt, I guess is a better way to put it. Uh, so, And in the older versions of the Bible, they would use this word offense in here instead of sin. So that presents some things, some images in your mind. And, and years ago, several years ago, I, I was uh, preaching on this topic. And many of you know, I, I pastored a very large church up in, up in Missouri. And, and I was preaching on this topic. And I used the term offense to the whole message instead of being sinned against. A, it, I, I designed the message, I guess, in a similar way to this one. But I, I was talking about not being offended. But in my head, I was thinking sinned against, but I didn't say that. And I explained how important it is to let the other person know that you have been offended. And, 
And, and that week, things kind of went crazy for me because people started calling me and stopping me in the hall. I received letters, and, and, and people sent me emails, and they would say, you offended me. And, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is the wrong way. You, I, I taught this wrong. So, and you just have to hear. I, I, had, I had one person say, you offended me because, and I need to confront you with it. I need to tell you about this because you told a story from the pulpit a few weeks ago about a cat. That when you were a child, you used to love to take cats and you would throw them up in the air and they would flail around and they would always land on your feet. And you were, you were, you were correlating that to spiritual principles. And, and I just am very angry about that because I'm a cat lover, so I'm offended. Now, I'm just thinking, really, did that person just do that? And, and, and it's like, yes, that person, they, they, they had their feelings hurt. I didn't sin against them. I may have sinned against their cat, but I didn't sin against them. I, another one that I got was, was you told this story about standing in line at the driver's license office for a long time and, had, and how you had just kind of gotten frustrated with the whole process and were using it as an illustration for something in church. And I worked at the driver's license office, and that offends me that you would talk about the driver's license office. And so I'm confronting you with it because you preached about it and you said that we should talk about these things. And I'm thinking, no, no, it's true. It's true that the, the driver's license office is, that I went to at least was absolutely pathetic. And, and there was another one that said this. I'm totally serious. I am totally serious. Another person said this. I'm offended because occasionally in your sermons you will make up words. And I do have a tendency to do that. You will create words that don't exist in the English language. And I am an English major, and I do not feel that that's appropriate. It offends me every time you do that. So because you preached about it, I'm confronting you. And so I just want to let you know that's not the way to do it because none of these people were sinned against. What they did is they had their feelings hurt. So I, I have since realized the importance of differentiating between being offended, in other words, getting your feelings hurt, and being sinned against. See, again, being offended is really just this feeling or perception that someone has intentionally or unintentionally mistreated you. Like, I don't like the driver's license office. I work there. I'm mad. Okay, so, so what do you do if you feel that way, though? If there is a real situation, you've not been sinned against, but you've just been, you feel bad about something. Here's what you need to do. Get over it. Just simply get over it. Those offenses are not worth holding on to. Get past, move past. It's poison. Let it go. It's going to kill you. Just move on. It's okay. You're going to be just fine. See, but the Bible focuses on something that, something else that's a little different than that. The Bible focuses on this thing of being sinned against, which is the most serious issue, which we're going to talk about predominantly today, and that's being violated by someone else's sinful actions. You could have been molested or lied to. You could have been abused or, or framed or maybe stolen from or deceived. And the truth is, there's much, there's a great difference in that and then being upset about a joke that the pastor told about cats who land on their feet when they're thrown up in the air. There's a lot of difference between being sinned against and being upset at 
the clerk at, at Target because she didn't give you the discount that you wanted. There's, there's a lot more of being, uh, uh, of being sinned against that the Bible talks about than about being offended at your neighbor because they didn't mow their lawn or their dog bark too much. You know, see, one is being sinned against. The other is being upset about a perception of something that you feel and your emotions are involved that it really doesn't matter. That's why you let go of it, you get over it, you move past it. God cares about this stuff. God addresses this stuff. Why? It's because God has desires for you. God desires you to have health. God wants you to be healthy. In fact, go ahead and read what it says online about people who have relational conflict that's unresolved. They get sick. But God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to have favor. In fact, you will have relational favor with other people in the community, on the job, in your family, as you learn to work through relational challenges. God wants you to have confidence, not feel beat down and discouraged. God wants you to, to have love in your life constantly and learn how to operate in that love and have power and, and have self-discipline so that you can move through the struggles of life. God cares about that. God wants you to have peace and not be all stressed out. God doesn't want you to be beat down because of relational conflict. God wants you to have everything that he offers you. So that's what we're talking about today. So don't allow your wires to get crossed and for there to be this big fire that erupts because of something you're just not paying attention to. So what do we do? What do we do when we feel sinned against? Now, I'm going to take you through some steps here. This is a pretty simple sequence here because we have these steps or these responses that we need to act upon when we're sinned against. And I encourage you to hear this because this is not, again, just psychology. This is scripture. And we know that this stands the test of time. This is God's word. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, taught this. So this is important. The first part is we really need to believe the best. <laughs> yeah, I, I said that. We need to believe the best up front in the face of the conflict where that other person sinned against us. Now, believing the best about the person who just stuck it to you, well, yeah, that, that's hard. I know. It's that first step is where most of us fail. That's where I'm always tempted to fail because I just love just like to, to, to assess my, give my assessment, give my judgment. I know how this works. I, I've got, I got this all figured out. Come on. But believe the best. Don't pass judgment because when you pass judgment, you're actually standing in place of God. You're issuing a verdict. That's another thing. I, I'm not teaching really on that in this message, but there is this philosophy around. You hear it around all the time where people will take a scripture which says, judge not. Have you ever heard someone throw that out in the culture? Judge not. Judge not. Well, what the Bible says, let's just get back to what the Bible originally says. What that means in the Bible is that doesn't mean you can't judge anything because we have to. It says all through the Bible that we're supposed to judge situations. And what, what that means about judge not, lest you be judged, that means don't stand in the place of God issuing a, a verdict over someone standing in the place of God because that's God's job. And if you start doing God's job, God's going to do his job on you. That's what, it, that's what it means. So in other words, you don't stand in front of someone and issue your verdict and condemn that person to hell. 
you're not going to say, you're going to go to hell for that, or may God judge you with fire, or you are just dirt. See, that is condemning, that is judging, and that is what we are called to not do. Do you understand that? So, so we don't stand in the place of judgment against the person. We choose to believe the best. Romans 14, 13 says this. It says, let us stop condemning each other. Don't condemn each other. Because what that does is that perpetuates a cycle of sin and problems. And instead, we're supposed to pursue peace and believe the best because God calls us to this lifestyle of love that's love of a decision because sometimes you just don't really feel it. And it's not contingent upon whether you like the other person or not because sometimes you just don't like the other person. The the, the nice thing about the Bible, and I'm grateful to God for this, is, is the Bible does not say like all people. I'm much glad because sometimes you just don't. You just let's just be real come on you guys know that's true like you just some people you just don't like but 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 uh, but the bible says instead we love and love is an act of decision we just simply decide to love a person and love always believes the best first corinthians 13 tells us that and it actually kind of goes against our feeble minds our feeble critical minds that like to put all the pictures together and there and we concoct something that's not true. A lot of times we make decisions, we make judgments, and unfortunately we're wrong. We've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others, and caused a lot more pain. So this, that's why we're not supposed to stand in the place of God up front. So the first, the first response is simply believe the best. Then the second response that we have is this, it is to shut up. Just shut up. I know you're going, what? I like to, I, want, I need to get it out there. I know you were hoping for step number two to be, okay, now here's what we're supposed to do, throw a punch. No, no, that was the sermon from three weeks ago. Now this is the balance to the sermon from three weeks ago. You don't always throw a punch. So to simplify this, really to make this biblical and correct, it's, it's this, it's just to say, shut up. In other words, don't communicate your situation with other people yet. Now, why do we do this? Why do we feel this need to tell everybody about our hurts? Because the truth is, our hurt is real, and our pain is evident, and we're feeling it. And and so a lot of times we'll go to other people around us, maybe people that we trust, and people that will likely feel sorry for us and take our side on the situation, and we go to get their sympathy. Isn't that right? Isn't that how we do it? We go to get their sympathy. And uh, but, but I want to tell you something. Right up front, that is not the appropriate step. Because what you're doing here is you're making it all about yourself. That's the danger there. So, so you're making it about your feelings or your hurt or your disappointment. And sometimes, a lot of times, we tend to make this big scene here, and, and that's not the way to handle it. And we just need to keep our mouths closed and not communicate our situation with others yet. Now, I want you to understand this, though. In the case or in the situation where you are in danger and this doesn't apply, some situations are worthy of getting the authorities involved immediately. And I think you guys understand that. I hope you would. But our goal here is to allow love to overtake the evil because that is what will rule and reign. That'll that'll actually take you to the next level personally. Proverbs 17 says this. It says, love prospers 
when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. So when we dwell on the toxic, what it causes is our friendships and relationships to begin to back away from us. So we need to keep our our conversations going in a positive direction because nobody wants to be around a grouch who always focuses on the negative all the time. You don't want to be around people like that. And don't lose people in the process of your pain. In fact, what you want to do is you want to have friends in the process of your pain. So when you're sinned against, response one is to believe the best. Response number two is to simply shut up. Response number three is this. It is to confront now, here's some of you are going, yes, I'm glad we're getting to this point. You get to confront. Confront, but I, I attached a word to it, redemptively. And this, I will confess right now, is one of those moments I have created a word that is not in the dictionary. Redemptively is not there, but I like the word, so I created it. See, my argument back to that English teacher or that, that English major at that time was this. It's like, well, then where do new words come from? Someone has to make them up somewhere, so I'm just going to make them up. And that just actually, I shouldn't have done that because that inflamed the situation. The English major, I don't think they ever liked me again. But, uh, but this is one of those deals where, where, where we need to confront redemptively, my word, not in the English language. And because confronting, we, a lot of times we think of that as being about the fight. And that's why I add this word redemptively. So what the Bible says, Jesus said this, is go to the person and deal with the problem. Go to that person, deal with the problem. And some, some, some things that I see in the scriptures after, after reading this and taking it word by word and looking through the text, what was Jesus really saying? Well, what I get out of that is it needs to be in a place that's neutral, if at all possible. In other words, you don't want to be in a setting where that's designed by you to intimidate the other person. Like, you know, like, like a, let, let's say maybe you have this office that you have this, this giant throne in, and, and, and you have the other person come sit in a little tiny stool at the bottom of your desk, and you're sitting on your throne, and you're going to confront them redemptively. Well, that's probably not the best setting or anything like that, but it needs to be in person. In fact, I I think it's really interesting because there in Matthew 18, it says, go to the person. Jesus said that himself. So they had problems even back then of people texting each other too much. They would just text them and and send the messages. Obviously, that's why Jesus said go in person because they had those problems then. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they didn't have the texting exactly like they do. They, They probably had little scrolls that they wrote the scrolls on and they attached it to a bird. The bird flew and they gave it to him or something like that. That was early version of texting. But Jesus is saying, don't text it. Don't send an email. Don't put it on Facebook or Twitter, but go to the person in person, if, if at all possible, really. And, and you should do it in a confidential way where you're not blogging about it. Like, I need everybody in this world to be praying for me. I'm putting out my big blog today because I'm going to confront redemptively this other person. It's like, that's just not what you need to do. So, so it's not about having a big formal meeting where you've designed it and you've, you've blocked out five hours for this big, long meeting. Actually, the less formal and the more succinct, the better. But go and encourage. Bring in just a, a, an atmosphere of encouragement and keep it on the positive, believing the best. And your action plan really should be all about them saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And the Bible says, if they are repentant, what we're supposed to now do is forgive. You forgive them, and then it's over. It's over. It's done with. You've, you've saved the relationship, and you don't have to be best buddies the rest of your life, but you've saved it. You've, re, you've walked through it redemptively. You win, they win. 
maybe you didn't want them to win, but you know the God in you wanted wanted there to be this mutual uh, uh, this mutual satisfaction at the end of the relationship. So so you 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 wrap it up and it's over with. But if they're defensive or they're obstinate, you actually go to a next level. So here again. If you're sinned against, response one is believe the best. Response two, then, is to shut up. Response three is confront redemptively. And if they don't, if if the person is not repentant, then you move to the next level, which is response number four. Involve other people. Jesus said if they they don't listen, then you're supposed to bring one or two other people with you. And, and my recommendation is you should do this, bring along some people that have some spiritual wisdom, some people in your life that have spiritual wisdom. Just don't, don't go find a couple of people off the street and do that because that's, that's, not, that's probably not the best thing to do, but just some people who have some spiritual wisdom. And basically they're there for the purpose of, of watching. And again, the, atmosphere, the attitude is being redemptive. It's not about punishment. It's not about embarrassing the person. It's not about humiliating. It's you walking in humility and going back again with a couple of people and just saying, we need to move on with this conversation. I, I would say probably one of the worst ways to do it is to do this, to say, well, you know, I know a lot about the Bible here, and, uh, and I go to that church that, where they like really believe the whole Bible, and they really preach it and teach it, and so... My pastor said that the Bible said that when you have sinned against me, because you have, that uh, I, and I'm supposed to go to you, and, and I tried doing this redemptively one-on-one, but obviously it didn't work. So I am bringing with me some people, and they're going to witness that, that you are evil and I am good. You see, that would be a wrong way to couch the situation. What you're doing is you are now causing the, causing the, the situation to become more explosive. No, you just go, and you just go with the other people, and they basically watch and listen. And if, if, if they're sorry and they're repentant, then you forgive. Because sometimes adding a couple of people into the mix just kind of chills the other person out. And like, okay, good, because you're dealing with it redemptively, which doesn't exist. Now, now if they're defensive or if they're obstinate, then you move to the next level. So let's, let's take these responses again. When a person sins against you, first response is you believe the best. Second response is you shut up. Third response is you confront redemptively. And if they are defensive or obstinate, then you go to the fourth response, and that is to involve other people. And if they continue to be defensive or obstinate, then you move to the next level. There's still another level here. And that is where you involve what I call church leaders. Very seldom does it ever come to this, but... The Bible says that if he still doesn't listen, you bring it to the appropriate people in the church, and I would say really through its leader. Now, I know you might say, but the Bible doesn't say the leaders themselves. Well, I want, I want to take, you, take, a, take a step back here and let's look at the Scriptures, the way they were originally written. We have this word in our head, church. In fact, I would say almost every one of you either said it or thought it today. We are going to what? Church. You didn't go to church because you can't go to church. Did you realize that? You don't go to church. And so, so the image that's, that's in our heads here of what, what Jesus was saying is, well, if, if the person continues to be defensive and obstinate, then you bring it to church, which means, okay, during the middle of the message, then Jordan is going to stand up and he's going to announce to everybody, all right, everybody, got this problem here. I'm bringing it to the church because the Bible said for me to. Well, that's not what the Bible was saying because the church is not the Sunday morning gathering when we all get together. This is, this, is our, uh, this is a worship experience. This is where we worship God together. The church is people. 
that means godly people in, in your gathering. I mean, I mean, can you imagine if we were to, if people were to take that literal, literally, and, and uh, you have a church of 5,000 people, that's all you would do. That's, that's all you would do all the time. That doesn't make any sense. So the way to do it is to go to a person and, and, and go to a person who has spiritual authority, because that's the objective here, is to getting someone with spiritual authority involved in the situation. At that lower level, you don't really need people with spiritual authority. They're just some people who are coming along to support you. Now you need to get the church involved, which means bringing in some spiritual authority into your life. So, so you, you, bring, you, you bring it before uh, a pastor or a connect group leader or maybe a, maybe a, a leader of, that's, that, that leads a, a ministry in the church or something of that nature. And when you do that, you then go and you explain the steps that you've already been through and, and then you, you deal with it. And, and the, the person is then confronted, again, redemptively, by the church, and I've, I've had to be involved in maybe five or six instances like this, very, very few, and most of the time, the person is, is very broken and, and, and is willing to move forward with it, move, willing to move out of it, and there's healing, and, and I've hardly ever had to deal with it where the person just continues to be obstinate about how they sinned, and so, so the good thing is, is that the person is, is, is rescued at the end, and you're rescued too, and you're able to be set free, and this is place of immense, wonderful freedom. But if a person then continues to be defensive and obstinate, do you know what the Bible tells you that you get to do? It's response number six, is to simply move on with life. Just move on. Just move forward. You know what? The truth is, you don't need that person in your life anyway. It's okay to move on and let it go. You know, just it's out of your hands. You can wash your hands of the situation, put a smile on your face, and move on because God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to have favor. God wants you to have confidence. God wants you to have love and power and self discipline and peace. And, and you need to be freed up to receive all of that from God. And so, when others, especially those who have authority in the church, come to agreement with you, as the Bible says. It says when two or three agree on anything, you get people in the church agreeing with you, especially leaders in the church, agreeing with you on something. The Bible says it is done in heaven. In other words, we're agreeing that, sir or ma'am, you have sinned and and you're not going to change your heart. And so you can move on without it. And, 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 and the Bible says is that, that really what happens here is your entanglements with that person or your attachments to that person are cut and snipped off, that what we bind in earth is bound in heaven. And God's going to do phenomenal things for you when you get other people involved at that level. It's good. It's healthy. It's right. It's righteous. You're set free to move on with your future. And so you just need to get moving on with your future because God honors the decisions that we make as believers in situations like this. Arguing, uh, it's just senseless. There's no reason to go there. When we argue and argue and when we fight and quarrel and we keep standing up for our rights, well, I have a right for this and I have a right for that, it allows resentment to come into our heart. And The Bible even says, this is, this is interesting, but it says that we actually begin to do the work of Satan when we argue like that. I want to read to you what 2 Timothy says. It says, those who engage in foolish and stupid arguments need to come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, for the devil has taken them captive to do his will. 
See, in other words, you can't do God's will when you're all upset about how someone else sinned against you and it'll make you bitter. For me, it's, that's huge. It's, it's terrible. I mean, I don't ever want to be bitter. I don't, want, I don't think there's anything worse than a bitter pastor because that bitterness will overflow into my preaching and into my home life and into this small group and your church and the workplace, everywhere. We don't want bitterness to be in our hearts. We gotta get rid of that. So we don't engage in the arguing and the fighting and all of that. That's not worth it. All that does is it keeps the wires crossed and there's this meltdown and there's this fire and there's mess all over the place. And you stand back and you might say, well, I won that one, but at what cost? My encouragement to you is to, first of all, just lighten up. Don't take yourself too seriously. And I'm setting the example for you because I choose to live this way. Why? Because I want God's desire for me to be active in my life. I, I want help. I want relational favor. I want to have confidence to be able to move forward, not worrying about this or that fragmented situation. I want to be able to move forward with love and with power, with self-discipline and peace, and I know you want that too. So I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a twofold prayer, and I want you to receive this. The first part of my prayer is if you've been just offended and you have your feelings hurt, that's for you to have the courage to move forward, move on, and drop it. Just get over it. Get over it. <laughs> the second one is if you have really been sinned against, that you will have the courage, regardless of how you've handled it in the past, you'll have the courage to simply walk through these responses, walk through them appropriately, and handle it redemptively. So what we're asking God to do is to change our hearts. In fact, you prayed a little bit ago. I know I know, I know. know I was a little sneaky in getting you to, to, to pray this prayer, and I asked you to pray it out loud, but I did say, God, change me. So, so you asked God to change you. If you really meant that, then I want you to receive this prayer because you can leave here fresh and new with new perspectives and a new way of handling conflict in your life. Let's pray right now. Jesus, I pray your blessing over every person in this room. God, bless us with, first of all, love. Where we really do love other people. Even the people who upset us, who frustrate us, or even sin against us. God, I pray for an explosion of that love in our hearts. God, I pray for people who are struggling right now with personal offenses of having feelings hurt because God that is real and I don't I'm not making light of it but I know it's real and that can have a devastating effect on our hearts and our lives God free us from a critical spirit free us from being negative and pessimistic and crouchy and focused on the flaws of other people little things that really don't matter in eternity Help us to let go and to move on. And God, help us also to deal appropriately with those who have hurt us, who sinned against us, who intended evil for us, who were sneaky and inflicted pain on our lives. And that pain's real. But God, we don't want to stay bound up in that pain. 
We want to be free from it. So, Lord, I pray for you to give us simply the courage to walk through the scriptures, do what the Bible says, and get to the other side of this in our own individual lives. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.